Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Hope you all had a nice week. If you want, we'll stand up, we'll, we'll pray, and we'll praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you and you alone this morning. And we praise you for the work you're doing in us as we, as we grow as followers, as people, as your church. So I just pray for your blessing on all that. I pray that everything we do is for you and for your kingdom. So we just give you this time as we sing these songs, as we hear from your word. Uh, we, we pray for growth, um, even the smallest step towards you today. We pray for the youth, for all the volunteers. We're so grateful for that. We pray for um, the retreat that's happening this weekend.
Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Well, how's everybody doing? Good. You guys glad to be here? I'm glad to be here with you guys. There's just something about gathering with uh, people that have a, a certain mindset that says that Jesus is Lord and um, he is in control no matter what kind of madness is happening around us. And he's taken this somewhere. 
And that means that we are not only people on a purpose, but uh, we are people that um, are called to be salt and light to a world around us that is very broken and very much in need of a savior. And I'm so grateful that in each of your lives, somebody spoke that truth and you responded and, and you're here. And hopefully you're experiencing God's blessing and care and uh, provision on a daily basis. And there's something about following Jesus that has a certain substance to it that just uh, keeps us coming back to him and, uh, and to gather with each other. And so I just kind of celebrate that, acknowledge that every time we, we do meet, and I'm grateful for it. Just count my blessings. Um, well, as we gather, we, we do have a few prayer concerns I want to lift up. Um, I don't know. Some of you may have been aware, but uh, Liz Elias's cancer, um, which she had fought many years ago whenever I came, it's returned. Uh, but she's in good spirits, and I just want to keep Liz lifted up uh, as she goes through that. We don't know exactly what it means or where it's going to go, but um, one thing I can tell you about Liz is that she has a strong faith, and um, she's an overcomer. And I know that that, um, that that C word has hit a lot of our homes at different times, and it's, um, it's always scary. Uh, so please just uh, keep her lifted up and encourage her. And I also want to pray, I, I mentioned uh, Teresa uh, and her family uh, um, basically uh, released uh, your dad to go to be with the Lord. And I know that um, in a lot of ways, uh, that's a blessing for him, but also we miss him greatly. So just pray for you and, and people we know that have gone through that, that season of grief. Um, let's see what else. My wife is having uh, sinus surgery tomorrow which doesn't sound fun, um, but uh, it's going to be hopefully something that will help her out. It's been a struggle for a long time. And uh, so I'd like to have uh, prayers for her. If you just keep her lifted up, that would be wonderful. And uh, let's see, Peg mentioned she might be getting a pacemaker pretty soon. Um, so we're trusting that that's going to just rev things up a little bit, and you'll be back to your honor self again. That will be awesome. And... Uh, and I mean that in a positive way. Honorary means, you know, good means bad, bad means good. You know, honorary means, means just. Okay. Um, anything else that I'm missing here that you guys want to just bring before one another so that we can keep one another lifted up? Because I do b believe that prayer works. And ultimately, God is, he's in control. And um, he has a way of working things out for good if not in this life, the life to come. And so we are not a people without hope and confidence. Anything you guys got? Okay. You guys got any more grandbabies or? Oh, of course you do. Wow. Yeah, of course you do. Holy cow. Well, congratulations. Man, be fruitful and multiply. Can I look at your Bible whenever we're done? I just want to see what you've underlined because some things of emphasis in your household. What's oh, a cat? Of course it is. There we go. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna increase our church through through reproduction. Great, Robin. Oh yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, congratulations to the Shapers. That's really cool. They're just beaming somewhere. They're not here. They're glowing. 
Oh, they're up with the kids. Of course they are. Yeah, Kathy. Yeah, I also wanted to mention Jody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to keep uh, Jody Williams lifted up in your prayers. Uh, he's had such a struggle, and uh, it's escalated pretty quickly. But we're grateful that God's been helping you guys through this, and we'll just continue to pray. And also want to pray for my friend Dave Sayok, who's had the struggle as well, and just keep him lifted up. Anybody else? All right. Going once. <laughs> All right. Let's pray, shall we? Our Lord Jesus, we know that as we gather, uh, you, you indicated that in this world we would have trouble. And as you recognize that, not only through your awareness of how you see things globally, but because you became one of us and you experienced firsthand all the things that uh, we do in life, Lord, we know that gives you a certain credibility that enables us to take what we have on our hearts and unburden them with you. And we know that uh, ultimately, even at 33 years of age, um, that was the, the end of your earthly life, but yet it, it transformed into uh, a glorified eternal life. And Lord, we are grateful for that, um, that, 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 that moment of transition that you have displayed for us to see that what you have provided through uh, your presence here, you provide for us as well. And we are grateful, Father, uh, because we are a hopeful people. That even as we struggle, uh, we don't know. We're, you're the giver of life and breath. And each day, uh, we are just grateful. We're grateful for the people around us. We're grateful for the people that support us. We're grateful for our families and the blessings that we have in our homes and your daily provision. And give us eyes to see that and a spirit of gratitude to express that. Um, even as we do that, Lord, I'm thankful for all the things that you've been doing within this body of people th this year and the things that have happened to just unfold your purposes into so many lives. And I'm so grateful, Father, for how you've taken um, uh, just our hearts and you've directed them towards serving in different ways, whether it's investing in our kids or things in the community or things that build up each other. Just thank you for activating that in us so that we can come alive in you. Lord, as we uh, just express gratitude for the empowerment of your spirit and the equipping of your people, we pray, Father, as we just lift up pastorally uh, those that we know are struggling. And so we pray for, for Liz and we pray for Jody, uh, and we ask, Father, that you would help them in, uh, in, in, their, in their time of... Um, of just uncertainty, I just pray that there would be healing. And I, I pray, Father, that as, um, as, as they uh, go through their paths of healing, that you would bless them and make them whole. Um, I pray, Father, for Dave. I just pray that you would encourage him and just help him uh, today to know your strength and your presence and your healing, Lord, and just your blessing and your help. I pray, Father, that you would be with Teresa, that you would help her and her family as they... Um, begin to remap what the world looks like without Joe. And I, I thank you, Father, for sustaining them through this and, and that hope of sweet reunion when that day comes. And Father, I pray for Peg. I pray that you would just continue through this long process uh, to bring health and life and vitality uh, back to her, her heart and everything that's been going on there. And I pray, Father, for... Um, uh, just uh, all, all of the ways that um, you have used us 
at particular times and particular ways to offer words of encouragement, offer words of prayer. And I ask that that ministry of building up one another would continue with this body. And I just ask, Father, um, that uh, your blessing would be on the Smith household as they celebrate the, the announcement of, of, of another child that would be coming into the world and the Shapers who are now experiencing that blessing as well. Father, we celebrate these young lives and we're grateful, Father, for just the gift of life and of, of little people. And we thank you, Father, for um, helping us as um, we've lifted these things up before you and we look to the past and we see your faithfulness and we see the mystery and, and, and sometimes even the uncertainty and the doubt and the frustration. And we know that ultimately you give us assurances uh, that this is not all that there is. And we pray that you help us to see those things that um, by faith are discerned, that we would trust that as we get the uh, impression of your presence upon our lives, that we would know that is from you. And so speak to us, Lord, as we uh, get ready to uh, open up your word and explore what it means for us as a people on the journey. And, uh, and, and thank you, Father. And I also would just want to pray as well for um, things that are happening um, in, in the world, whether um, uh, the, it's the, the war in Iran, as we have people that we know and love that are over there, that you protect them, or uh, locally, as we think about our own country and our own leadership and things that are happening in, 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 in high levels of government. Lord, we just pray that there would be uh, justice and truth would prevail and that the good things that uh, by design uh, we trust that our Constitution enables us to have as citizens of the country. We pray that you would uh, just defend the causes that are appropriate and alignment with your truth as citizens here. But ultimately, we are aliens and strangers who trust in your word and your way over and above everything else. And you, Lord Jesus, have our allegiance accordingly. And as we do that, just help us to attune to you as we pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, uh, as we move into our time in the Word, if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to look at John chapter 1. Um, we're going to be exploring the book of John up through Lent, and then we're going we're to hopefully finish out the book of uh, Luke as we've uh, been on that journey for a few years. But however it is that we track through any of the Gospels, one thing I'm confident of is that God speaks to us about that subject matter uh, in a variety of ways, and it seems like um, every time I, I preach from uh, the Scripture, God has some way of making this personal and meaningful in my own life, and, um, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. But for now, I just want to look at um, the verses beginning with uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, and, uh, and, and look at uh, that through uh, 42. So here's what we read. The next day, John, was, John the Baptist, that is, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I just want to pause for a minute and look at those two phrases, those two questions. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? Because John is one of those books that's very artfully done. It was written a long time after the three Gospels that we have. It was written after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It was written after Christians had been Christians for a while and probably going into almost the second generation uh, of, of believers. Well, probably the third um, after Jesus. It's just one of those books where you've just had time to ruminate, to reflect, to kind of gestate on what has happened since, let's say, John was written in 80 or 90 AD, and Jesus did all, everything that he did in 30, 30, 33 AD. And as you're thinking about that gap of close to 50 years, 50 years, that's a long time. I mean, I've been on this planet for 59, and um, tell you what, starting to feel it. And as I, you know, just think about uh, my awareness of things from early on till now, there's just been a lot of things that have changed. Um, I mean, if you think about uh, the rate of change that has happened in our culture since 1963. Anybody from pre-1963? Okay. I, was, I actually was born um, uh, three weeks after Kennedy was shot. And, you know, my parents said, yeah, the world was different before then. And I'm like, yeah, probably because I came into the world. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Um, it, there, there's just been a lot of change. And you can just look at the 70s, the haircuts, the polyester, the platform shoes, the psychedelic paint jobs. And then you go to the 80s and you have flock of seagull haircuts you have lots of techno and crazy outfits. The 90s, grungy, wearing plaid that's kind of hung on. And then you had 2000s, you know, with the turn of the century, you know, with uh, not the 9-11. And you just think about, wow, things have dramatically changed. And it actually wasn't in many ways, a whole lot different for these guys because they had seen a country that, yeah, there was some, there was some disruptions happening, but they experienced a full-scale destruction of everything that meant anything to them. Their buildings, their temple, their homes, a lot of them were just kicked out of the country that they lived in and were scattered. And all that upheaval created a lot of questions in the minds of the people that were attuning to Jesus. And they were asking, you know, how does this work? How does this fit? How is this even important to us right now? And there was a lot of figuring out of their identity and trying to determine, well, since we don't live there because there is not there anymore, and since we have been scattered abroad, and if we're here, a lot of the people have left, so all the meaningful relationships that we had, um, they're not, not exactly what they were. 
And there's just something about all that upheaval that they have gone through that John, I think, responded to when he wrote this book. And so a lot of things that are written in it actually take into account not just what Jesus did, but what it meant. It's kind of like Jesus came, so what? And I think that's a fair question. Because there are a lot of people that have been confused about Jesus and his identity and the difference that it makes. And in a time like we're living in right now, where there is a pretty high degree of chaos, where there's definitely a lot of uncertainty about things, and where it just seems like a lot of things, that they just don't work. And, and, and in that place of, of just upheaval, we're asking, I think, the same question. Jesus, who are you? And so what? Do you make a difference? Can you make a difference? And there were people fast-forwarding backwards, fast-backwarding, um, to the time of uh, around um, 30 A.D. that knew that there were storm clouds on the horizon, and they were pretty upset about it. There were some who just said, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to focus on my work. There were others that were politically very outspoken to the point where they would even assassinate somebody that they felt like was a threat to their country. There were people who said this is a time to take advantage of, of, of some of the, some of the, the, the mounting chaos. And uh, they became tax collectors, and they decided that they would contract to the Roman government as a Jewish person and be a tax farmer. Interesting thing is, you look at this diverse group of people that would be like a Republican and a Democrat and, and who knows what else. Or just take whatever group of people that you think would never get along well under any conditions. And those are the people that Jesus said, I'm going to call them. And that's what's ironic about this whole thing is that he finds a way of helping people from very diverse backgrounds to form a new identity, a stable identity that will carry them through all the things that are going to be happening on the horizon. You know, in some ways, if you've ever seen the movie The Terminator, you know that uh, its plot line talks about a future event where the robots are taking over and they're destroying humanity. And the, the great hope is that a savior will go in a time machine backwards to the point where that technology was being formulated and then they would just begin to disrupt things at that level so that the future as they knew it wouldn't happen. And Jesus has this ability to see what's on the road ahead. He even talks about it later on that the temple is going to get destroyed and it's not going to be good and there's going to be chaos. And I believe that when he calls this diverse group of people, he's showing them a way forward where they can be of one mind and heart regardless of some of these political, social, economic commitments that they have that make them unfit for a relationship on any other terms. And he essentially says that the way that you can move forward 
is to follow me. And he does that in an interesting way because the first people that start to follow him are people that have heard the story that John the Baptist was saying that the Messiah is coming and he was saying he is the one who is going to be our source of hope and he is going to be our leader. And there were a couple of people um, John mentions, Andrew being one of them, and the other one he doesn't mention by name, but scholars speculate is John himself, who are young, they're idealistic, they want a better future, they're following John, and John says, actually what I've come to do is to prime you so that you will follow Jesus when he comes. And essentially that is happening here. Jesus is going to work to create a community of people with a new identity that will be sustainable through the times ahead. And as he does that, um, he starts with where we are at, where they are at, where you and I are at. Because not everybody comes to church thinking, hey, you know what? I, I understand where this is going to land. I'm going to become part of a body of people that's actually going to be a new family by definition. My life is going to be reoriented and redefined in a new way that's surprising and in a way that I never imagined. And then ultimately I'm going to be committed to this body of people for the rest of my life in some form. And every decision that I make will somehow be impacted by that commitment to that body of people. Most of us, when we started coming to church, never imagined that would be the outcome. I never did. All I wanted to do was to just get right with God through Jesus, and that would be it. And maybe you can agree. Some of us were afraid of hell or something, and we said, you know, I just want to get saved. Others of us said, I just need to find a better path. But a lot of us, when it comes to being a part of a church where we are now identified with the people in that church as family members, and those relationships with complete strangers except for our commitment to the Lord are actually going to grow and create a bond that um, we would never expect. I mean, there's just so much about the way of life that Jesus calls us into that we really have no idea um, until we start tracking with him. But we do know this. He asks each of us, at the very beginning, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And my guess is I could probably go person by person through all the pews, and you would give me a variation on the reasons why you're here or on the reasons why you're paying attention to Jesus. Some of it depends on where you're at in life. Like these guys, they were young, they were idealistic, and they were looking for a better way because the, the church, by their definition, wasn't working. There are others who were saying, I've tried this path as a tax collector. I got lots of money, but I have no friends, and my life is empty. Another said, I've tried this path as a zealot for the politics of my country, and um, maybe even killed a person or two, I'm not saying but is that it? And then there are others who are saying, I don't want the noise of politics. I don't want the noise of ambitious people trying to get ahead 
and be extremely wealthy. I just want to do my job. And that was a fisherman. And when Jesus showed up in each of the worlds of these people, and he said, follow me, implicit in that calling is that question, if you're following me, you must be seeking something better than what you found so far. And John just comes right out because he recognizes after the church has been in, in play for 50 years, as he's writing his gospel, he's, 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 he's telling it in a way where pattern language is showing up because the phrase, what are you seeking, shows up again and again later on in the gospel. And uh, the phrase, where are you staying, shows up again and again. And John has just had time to artfully craft how he's going to say this because the hope is that the way Jesus formed a new group of people around a new identity based on a pattern of response and call, that that would just continue on and people would see it. And some of you come to church because there was a girl that you liked and she went to that church. And all of a sudden that evolved into something even more. And I've heard my share of those stories. And the irony is God used the girl to hook you and then you started paying attention to something even beyond her and it evolved into something even better. There are others of you who come to church because you have had your back against the wall for so long that the answers that you've tried to find out there are clearly not available. And there's something about God that keeps nudging at you to say, why not look at church? And there's others of you who've said, my relationships are not what they need to be. And Oprah's no good. Dr. Phil is not helpful. Um, the fact that I'm, you know, reading a vice column in the paper, that's not getting it. I need something more substantial. And those questions, why, why, what are you seeking? They come at different times in our lives, but they come at a critical moment when Jesus is just waiting in the background saying, you don't have to seek any farther than me. The interesting thing about this first chapter, there's so much in it, uh, there are several titles that are given to the name of Jesus. It's Rabbi, he's the Messiah, he's the, he's the Word of God, he is the Son of God. And he's the son of man. And, and I just go on and on. And basically different people had different important ideas. When they thought about God, those words came up in their mind. And John is telling us he's every one of them and more. And as he's just giving us this laundry list of names, he's saying that whatever your need is, ultimately it has something to do with him. And his presence in your life or the lack of his presence in your life. And whether he is there or not there makes all the difference in the world. And so when he asks, what are you seeking? He's not just asking on the surface, hey, are you looking for a teacher? Or are you looking for something deeper? And the interesting thing about John is everything he says has like double meanings. Has like a surface meaning, like 
what are you seeking? And they're like, well, we're just seeking the teacher. And Jesus is saying, get that. But what are you seeking? And then there's a statement where they ask the question, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? The word dwell there is interesting because it's, uh, it's, it's fraught throughout the whole gospel as, as well. And basically, the, the, the surface meaning is this. Jesus, are you staying at somebody's house? Because perhaps you could stay with us. Are you dwelling there? The deeper meaning is, where are you located spiritually? Where are you dwelling? And the early part, John says, um, the, the word became flesh, and he tabernacled amongst us. He made his dwelling amongst us is what the idea is. And there's a deep meaning throughout the Gospel of John where the word dwell is used numerous times to describe the presence of Jesus with his people, the presence of Jesus dwelling together with the Father. And John wants us to think not only about the surface storyline, but he also wants us to ruminate on it a little bit and imagine the connection that Jesus has with the Father and the connection that Jesus has with each of you. Because for John, religion is not about a set of teachings, but more like a relationship that starts with Jesus and then works into all the facets of our lives as we ask the question, Jesus, how can you help me with my own path, my own vocation, my own health needs? How can you help me with my relationship? How can you help me to raise my children? Jesus, how can you help me today when I'm facing a problem where I cannot connect the dots? And in every one of those questions is the hope that not a, a, you know, a magic eight ball, I shake it up, you know, you remember that, and then it tells you something, and you're like, oh, that kind of fits, and, and you're like, okay, maybe that's the sign. It's more like a person that you ask in the form of prayer for guidance and wisdom and help, who in his own mysterious way comes alongside you in the course of life and shows you what that's all about. And when I mentioned at the beginning of the service about gathering here and following the Lord and trusting him, one thing I can, I, I, I can pretty much say with confidence, that if you've been doing it for a while, you start to tune in to the different ways that he, he, he impresses himself upon you. It's the little coincidences. It's those ways of finding peace whenever you pray. It's those subtle things where a person comes and says a timely word, and you're like, I can't believe you said that because that, that, that's exactly Word for word, that's exactly what I've been trying to sort out. And God just has this subtle way of showing up in, 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 in a very small but powerful way in your life and mine that when that pattern happens long enough, recognize, of course, we're connected to him. We're actually part of his family. Did you know that Jesus uses the word Father in this gospel 120 times, 120 times. 
And he does that to show that our faith is not about just a set of teachings or ideas. It's about a relationship. And when he prays at the end of the book, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one and that they would dwell in us as you dwell in me and I in you. And there's this mysterious knowledge of the overlapping of the presence of God in the lives of his people through the person of Jesus. There's kind of an intimacy here. And so when they ask, where are you staying? The hope is, from Jesus' point of view, in your house, in each of your houses. That is, in each of your hearts. And his question back to us, what are you seeking? He's asking the question, what is it today that I can help you with? And it's very personal. So right out the gate, people are starting to follow him. But like anything, they very quickly realize it runs a lot deeper than they thought. One thing that I've appreciated about going through the pandemic like we did was it forced everyone in this room to sort out the question, does Jesus matter? Does church matter? Does the hope that I have in him matter? Because everything that I trusted out there, the institutions, the government, the economy, the healthcare industry, everything is showing signs of coming apart. And I have to place my confidence in something or someone if I'm not only going to keep my sanity, but I'm going to keep sure footing. What I've appreciated about what many of you have done, if not most or all of you have done, is you've asked the question, do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really trust him in this? Because fear is just right outside the door waiting to knock it down and barge in. And I need something or someone to anchor myself in so that I can keep my presence of mind and so that I can go forward through life with confidence. Now, John had experienced this firsthand because he was just barely a teenager when he started following Jesus. And now he's a pretty old man writing this book. He's had a lot of time to think about it and reflect on it. And so everything that he packs in here, he's not going to waste a word. He's going to trust that people are going to read this and they're going to pass it on and God's going to bless it. Well, don't know if he realized that it's being passed on for 2,000 years plus and we're still blessed. Now, let's just continue on a little bit um, because Jesus said to them, were that went in response to their question, he said to them, um, come and, and you'll see where I'm hanging out, where I'm dwelling. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found 
the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you're Simon, the son of, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock, a rocky. And essentially what happens is Peter is given a Cephas, Simon, Rocky, whatever you want to call him. Started out as Simon. Now he's got a new identity. And it's, it's funny because if you know, um, you know, you know Rachel Yokely. When you meet her, she'll come up with a name for you. And it's based on a characteristic of, of, of something to do with who you are. So everybody's got their pet name. It's kind of fun. If you haven't got one yet, it just means you've been avoiding her. So you might as well just get over with and just uh, befriend her, and she'll, give you, she'll assign you your new name. Which is kind of fun. But in a sense, when Jesus looks at us, he says, um, I actually have a name for you. And um, it really is a name that defines features about your character that we're going to emphasize and build on. And the thing about Peter is if you read his story, because he decided to follow Jesus, and he went by the name Peter or Cephas. And as he did, um, there were events that happened in the storyline that said Peter is just all in, 100%. And then something happens, rocks his world. And he's like, uh, I don't know that guy. And he just has a little bit of instability. So you could call him Rocky. It's just kind of rocky with him. But you could also call him the rock. Because there was a moment where things kind of clicked together enough that he was able to define his priorities with such clarity once and for all that he came to the conclusion, if somebody asked me, who are you? I would say without even just thinking twice, it would just, I would just blurt out, I'm a follower of Jesus. And when he came to that place in his life where he was so saddled under very unsettling challenges through the course of his life, he realized that it, there, there are no other options. There is nothing that can satisfy my world like him. And it was a trans transforming moment, I think, when he settled in that. And how do I know he settled into that view finally? After denying Jesus, abandoning Jesus, betraying Jesus, having to shamefully meet up with him after he was resurrected. And Jesus said twice at the end of the book of John, just like he says here, follow me. That's all he says, follow me. And when Jesus asked him the second time, he knew he was seasoned enough that his default response was going to be, if you ask me, no matter who you are, no matter what the consequence, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, 
history, not the scripture indicates, but uh, Jesus did predict it, that um, he would die a horrible death because he said these words, I am a follower of Jesus. Didn't matter. He had become so settled in that reality. That was his identity. That was who he was, and he was called to be here on earth that there was really no other thing that would come to mind that would say that's important. Now, if you guys ask me who I am, I, I've worn a lot of hats. I'm a father. I'm just the son of, of Ira and Georgianne Moore. Um, I like Mopars. I'm a motorhead. I'm a Mopar guy. Um, I like to read. I'm a nerd. Uh, but I also like to do things that are semi-dangerous. I'm a thrill seeker. Uh, but at the end of the day, Somebody asked me, who are you, Leonard? I would like to think after 35 years of trusting his presence along the way and seeing it more clearly as I have, I would say I'm a follower of Jesus. And I've been tested in ways that have put that question of loyalty out there. And it is a thing that says... I have no other options at this point in my life but to tell you. I chose to follow him a long time ago. And along the way, he's redefined my identity along that relational pathway that I have with him. And I'm not the only one that probably could say that. But I know some of you well enough that you've actually been at that a lot longer than I have. I know some of you well enough that you would say that I've been through my own hellish experiences. I've been through my own trials. I've been through my own seasons of huge doubt. But I always keep coming back to him. Because the little hidden gem in this whole story is that he was seeking them before they started seeking him. And that's how the book of John opens up, is that God has actually been the one chasing after us. And we just, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the cat we used to have. I was cooking on my barbecue, and probably you've heard this story, but I'm sorry. Um, but I was cooking at my barbecue out by the garage, and this little tortoise shell shows up. And... As she does, she looks at me like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, I know better than that. But she said it in such a way that I'm like, man, why? Why, God? Why? Um, so I fed her. And then we didn't have a cat. The cat had us, right? They just choose you. And, you know, I would tell people, yeah, that's our cat. But she would tell people, no, they're my people. And it's probably no different than finding a wife, you know. She's not going to say yes if she's not interested to begin with. But she'll find a way to get you to ask her. At the end of the day, she robbed your heart from the, right out of the gate. First, I mean, it's, it's, psychologists have said this. It's like you, the first time you see that person, you're like, because you know it's just going to shake your world. And that person's like, I don't know about you. 
Um, and then you got to say in a variety of ways, I, I'm worthy. And is a, that's a lot how God woos us. He chooses us in a lot of ways, not in some Calvinistic, deterministic way that I, I don't want to go into, but in a way that says, I've actually chosen all of you. My job is to reclaim all of you. And I will work in the lives of all of you through no matter what life is dealing, whatever hand, hand you're given, I'm going to work through whatever that hand is to show you that I want you, that I'm seeking after you. And John opens up this gospel with this interesting way of just showcasing a few lives who are asking a few surfacey questions by comparison to the deeper need and then eventually he shows us what we're really seeking so Peter he was sort of rocky to begin with but then he was the rock and there's something about the stability of longevity that anchors you in the faith where you are unshakable. And perhaps God has been doing that in your life and you're starting to see it. Perhaps you're in that space where it's pretty settled. Or perhaps you're just not sure yet that this God is trustworthy enough to give your allegiance to. And I think all of those are fair. So let's unfold this a little bit farther before we close. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and you almost get a sense that Philip was the bookworm in the, in the mix because he's got all this Old Testament background floating around in his mind, and he's telling him the reasons based on the storyline why this is the case. And so he tells Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says to him, don't believe it. Nothing, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Everybody knows that. It's a hole in the wall. You drive through, got a bad gas station, you don't want to buy gas there. You don't want to buy anything there. You just want to keep on going because they have nothing to offer. And he's sort of downgrading the whole thing that this guy could possibly come from a place that has such bad breeding. And yet, um, Philip said, hey, come see. Come see. I'll show you, show you myself. So um, Nathaniel's a little skeptical. But what changes him and what changes any of us? It's how Jesus in his own way starts to show that he knows you better than you realize. So in 47 and following, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel, a little 
gobsmacked, said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Now, I don't know what Nathaniel was doing over there, but it was between him and God, and Jesus seemed to understand. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus, I mean, John has got this thing so layered, uh, you could spend all day looking at it, but uh, when he says, here's an Israelite where there is no deceit, you know where the name Israel came from, of course, right? It's Jacob, right? Remember? Jacob is called what? <laughs> the deceiver. And then Jacob had a wrestling match with God in a place called Bethel, and as they were wrestling, God, the angel of the Lord, they had... They, they, they fought it out. I don't know, some kind of holy MMA thing going on. And uh, Jason, J J J Jacob came, I'm thinking of, that's a Freudian thing. You know, I think people that are, but um, <laughs> now nah, I've just lost my train of thought. J so Jacob is wrestling, and he gets his hip knocked out of socket. And there's an event that happens where there is a renaming of his identity from Jacob the deceiver to Israel. And there's a purpose behind that because God is going to make a nation out of him, hopefully that are devoted, trustworthy, honest followers of him because he's wrestled with God. And it's a metaphor in some ways because it's just essentially saying that no matter what your character is, when God goes to work on you, something inside of you changes if you wrestle with him. And so Jesus is using this language, and he saw Nathanael, and he said, you know, here's an Israelite where there's no deceit. And Nathanael said, uh, how do you know me? And he told him, um, and then he said, you are the king. But how it ends is pretty cool. Because Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Not, okay, you got an idea in your head, and you say, okay, that's true. No. Do you trust me with your life? When John says, do you believe, he means, he doesn't mean like in some sense of, well, that's true and that's false. He means, no, do you trust me with your life? Because in the, in the, in the early um, Christian sense of the word believe, it was always, do you give allegiance to me with your life? Do you trust me in that way to that degree? And if you do, great things are going to happen and you're going to see it. And he said to him, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You remember when Jacob had that wrestling match? And there's a ladder, and angels are ascending and descending. So essentially, John's trying to capture something in the imagination of the people that are reading this who have this Jewish background, because that in their mind was a defining story like the 4th of July is for us, or talking about um, Veterans Day or Memorial Day. That was something that people thought about and pondered, because as Jesus is saying this, they knew that it happened at a place called Bethel. And at that place called Bethel, as time evolved, there was a temple that was built. And that temple became the defining location for the presence of God after Solomon built it. And it was on the place of Bethel that all of these things occurred. And in the course of the telling of the story of, of Jesus in the book of John... The temple is in the backdrop. But the point is, you're not going to a temple to worship anymore, but rather you're going to Jesus to worship, who becomes the temple. He tabernacled amongst us. As you read through John, I'm getting a little deep here, so just my, 
please excuse me for a second as I, as I kind of go into this. Jesus becomes the place that we go to to meet God. That's what John is all about. And when we meet him, we're able to meet God. And as we meet God through Jesus in that space, wherever we are, we can access him. And as John is writing this, he wants to let us in on a little secret. After the temple is destroyed, people will not have a location geographically to go to to say, this is where we worship God. And that's why they had a huge identity crisis, because their church was destroyed. They didn't know how they were going to meet. They didn't know how they were going to worship. They didn't know how they were going to interact in their faith with God. It was all just a big question mark. And for Christians who happen to be Jewish in their background, he wanted to explain to them, you don't have to go any farther than Jesus because he came and he tabernacled amongst us. He came and he said, if you destroy this temple in three days, it'll rise again. He came to show in somewhat cryptic language and sometimes in very graphic language, I'm the new temple. But then after Jesus left, the question lingered, well, where is he now? And this is why this is so important. Because Jesus is not calling these people to create a fan club or to get social credibility. He's calling these people because he is trusting that if they follow him like an apprentice follows a master, like anybody who's trying to learn anything follows somebody who knows how to do that well, and if they're paying attention, they themselves become that person. He's calling these people so that they themselves can begin to embody what they see in his own life. He's calling these disciples so that when people who are asking the question in their, in their, in their greatest need for seeking God, where is God? He's calling people so that whenever that question is asked, they don't have to look any further than us. That when you see us, you see him. And I say that's pretty impossible. But so is it impossible to align Democrats with Republicans. So it is impossible to align zealots who like to kill people for political purposes, and especially tax collectors who clearly are betraying their citizenry by stealing our money and giving it to the Roman government or people that could just care less, like fishermen. All the people that I mentioned in those vocations became part of the 12 that embodied the presence of Jesus here on earth. They changed because they became settled in their conviction that all that stuff I stood for in the past it just could not carry the day. It had a moment, and then that moment was gone, and it just didn't seem like it worked anymore. But there is one who perennially works all the time in every situation, no matter what we're seeking, and no matter whatever season, he is sufficient to provide that thing to keep us moving forward. 
Now, Jesus is looking at the 12, and he's saying, you don't, probably won't believe this, and I know you probably hate each other, but at the end of three years, it's kind of like boot camp, you're going to have each other's back like you will not believe. You'll be brothers in arms. You will fight to the death for me. And sure enough, that's where all of them landed, you know, except for one. And then that just continued on for 2,000 years. People have said, didn't really know what I was looking for when I started out, but then somehow I ended up here. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad I went through that thing to get me here because I found the thing I didn't even know I was looking for until I found it, and I said, And that's why a lot of you have been coming here for decades, because he is it. And Jesus is saying, the temple, you don't have to go any farther than me. And then he's saying, as I'm coming alive and dwelling in you, we don't have to go any farther than you. So my call here is to follow Jesus. Where you're at right now in life. Because I think every year, every season, I got to ask the question, Lord, where are we going? What are we doing? What does 2023 mean for me as a leader in a church? I imagine it'll be a different hat than it was in 2022. And a different hat than the one in 2021. But Jesus is also saying, where you're at in life, can you follow me there too? And he's asking all of us that. It's a new day. Yesterday is gone. And the day that's in front of us is the day that we're given to follow him, to trust him, for whatever this day requires. And if he calls us, he will give us what we need to do what we're called to do. You got that? He's not going to call you and then you're like, okay, I don't, know, I don't know how to do this. He calls you. He will give you what you need to do what you need to do. And he'll use the church to support you in that. And if we're doing that thing as a church, then he'll be, he'll be very gratified to see that we're on board with what he calls us to do in obedience. But if you're new, all I can tell you is he's calling you into a family, and I hope that we can do our part and be in the family that you need to follow him. And I hope that you feel that sense of welcome, that we are a group of people that come from a lot of different backgrounds that have one thing in common, and that is we trust Jesus with our lives. And I would say in the chaos, in the moment that we're in, there's no better place to be than to dwell in with him. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are coming to a, a moment in our time around your word where I, I, 
I, I hope, Father, that what I've said is faithful to your intent for your word and for us today, and I pray that it's timely. And Lord, I know you've been working in the hearts and minds of everyone here in our own way. Some of us have been stuck, and we, we just need a little bit of a, of a jarring to get unstuck and to get back on the path again. Some of us are a little beaten down, and we need some, some, some words of encouragement from our church family and from your spirit, and I pray that we'd find that. Some of us, Lord, are just kind of kicking the tires, and we're asking, is this real? Is this worthy of my loyalty and attention, like the pastor just said? And I, I just pray, Father, that you'd work in whatever is going on in, in that heart right now, to trust that your call is a way of saying, I'm with you, and I'll always be with you. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us as a church as we work together in groups of people, groups that serve, groups that gather in different ways, that we are all aligned for the purpose of, of just keeping you lifted up in our hearts and our lives so that when people see us, Lord, when they're asking the question, when they're seeking, they see you. So align our hearts in that way. Help us to be gracious and not rude, to be generous and not offensive. Help us to be hospitable and not cold. Help us, Lord, to reflect back to whoever is looking, your presence in our lives as we trust you in this new year and in this journey through John. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. you would seek us and dwell in us and ask us to continue to seek you and dwell in you. Father, we hold in our hand the top the simple emblem of bread and this juice. We are reminded that this is your body. Came to seek us. Teach us save us, given for us, the body broken, the blood shed for us, your children, and we thank you. I ask you now to bless these emblems to our body, continue to strengthen us in you and in one another, no matter where we are in our walk. Son's name we pray. Amen.
hands down across. with us this week and help us show you to everybody that we can. Amen.
Be safe. Hope you have a nice week.